Welcome to another episode of Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today I've got Pat Gallagher along with Todd Lewicki, uh, CEO of the new expansion franchise for the NHL in Seattle. Uh, really looking forward to speaking with both of them today. Uh, I know they've got some long paths in uh, the fun business, so looking forward to talking about their experiences. And Pat, I'll let you introduce Todd and take it away. You know, Todd, uh, known Todd for a long time. He's, you know, and I'm going to let him explain his, some of his background, but he's been in soccer, he's been in basketball, he's been in golf, he's been in football, and now he's, uh, he's bringing uh, NHL hockey to Seattle. So, so Todd, um, you know, it, you're, you're, you're in the, uh, there's a lot of heat going on up right now up in, uh, in Seattle on the whole hockey front, but this the, the whole idea about this podcast was is that the people who are in our business or are interested in getting into business, what we sort of wanted to say is we'd like them to sort of be able to eavesdrop on a conversation between some people that are in the business to sort of find out what their path is all about, you know, how they get started. Um, you didn't get started as a CEO of a, of a hockey franchise. You started some other way. So can we start there? Yeah, I mean, when I was laying in bed listening to Dan Kelly, uh, you know, uh, do play-by-play for the St. Louis Blues, I, I think I was living vicariously as the CEO back then. Uh, <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be a coach or a GM, so I was going to have to do something in the front office. But, uh, yeah, that it, it began really thinking about the game and listening to a play-by-play guy who was totally inspirational. I think that's where a lot of us began. And so, what, and, and what franchise, what, who were you listening to? Yeah, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in St. Louis, and uh, I, uh, I had a challenging youth. My mother battled cancer for years, and an escape for me had been the arrival of the St. Louis Blues to St. Louis. They were uh, an expansion team, and uh, they had a great announcer, Dan Kelly, who was really a legend, and... Uh, I can recall the radio, and uh, it was on KMOX, the voice of St. Louis, and you know, uh, and people talking. You know, it can sound corny a little bit about taking the radio and sneaking into bed and listening, but that was all true. And uh, and then uh, I think it was in their second year, but very early in the franchise, they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals and played the Boston Bruins, and and that's really where my love of uh, hockey and also sport really was uh, seated. So, so what was your first first gig? Where did, where did you go first? Yeah, my brothers, uh, my two older brothers had started a professional soccer team, and uh, they were big shots. My one brother was the president. My other brother was the general manager. And then uh, my title was office hand, and I was <laughs> – and then uh, – and it worked really well. It was the Kansas City Comets, but it was sort of uh, – and. Uh, the, the PA announcer got promoted to the radio guy. They brought in a PA guy. He got sick. Uh, and so one night they let me do the PA. And then that was like, wow, this is so cool. But really my, my first job was the Golden State Warriors. And uh, in 1987, uh, a guy named Matt Levin had been hired by the Warriors. And he was, uh, he was looking for a vice president of marketing. And he actually called my older brother, Tim. And Tim said no. And He's, he said, but don't you have other brothers? And so I, uh, Matt, uh, 
called me and I found myself on an airplane going out to San Francisco and uh, he had me meet with a psychologist, a guy named Dr. Larry Fogley. And, uh, oh, I remember him. Yeah. Uh, I was worried about that and I remember because I couldn't <laughs> spell worth the hoot back then and I put a uh, pocket dictionary in my little pocket. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But I, uh, I went to his office and spent four hours and uh, that afternoon was uh, offered a job and uh, off to the races. You know, Todd, I, I, when I talk to um, a, lot of, a lot of kids or people who are interested in the business and they say, so what do I have to do? I'm, I'm really big on sales experience doesn't necessarily matter what it is that you sell, but I, I'm just big on, you know, the way you would sell might be different than the way I would, but it's sort of developing, you know, your own level of confidence. But tell me about, uh, about your introduction to sales. And, and is that, I mean, I don't know whether you agree with me or not, but I think sales, the, the, the ability to sell and to be able to sell ideas and concepts and put them together is, you know, is one of the most important things in our business. Yeah, and I think, you know, selling is, a, you know, it'd be interesting to look up what the real synonyms were for selling because it's really, um, you know, selling is a, is a word that gets tossed around, but it's the ability to inspire others to do things. And uh, so in Kansas City, my brothers and I were, uh, we left the soccer team, we had a business and we had a hotel client and uh, I was 26 years old and it was a a very beautiful hotel in downtown, but it, it lacked uh, weekend visitors and summer traffic. It was, uh, it was kind of a business hotel. And somehow, some way I met George Brett and I convinced the hotel to let him move in. And he moved in the hotel, had to go to the kitchen anytime he wanted. Uh, they did his laundry. They put him in this beautiful suite and, uh, he became a spokesperson for the hotel in the region, and we put together these regional packages in the four feeder markets, and it worked like a charm. And that was really the first time I learned about promotion, and uh, and that was selling. And then uh, when I got to the Warriors, they had 1,800 season tickets, and there was plenty of selling opportunities when uh, most of the arena was sitting empty. And uh, and I think part of selling is, is having a passion for what you're doing and being able to convey that in an effective way. Um, and so I learned that early on. And, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't classically trained. But then I met along the way people like you and Andy Dolich, um, who were masterful uh, at what you did. And then watching you and Andy, Pat, not only being masterful at what you did, but having fun along the way. And... Um, you know, the relationship you and Andy had was legendary. And the story of uh, him pranking you with a billboard. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I pranked him first. Okay. I got him first. I know what you did to him, which was <laughs> he thought he was going in for a big interview with the head of CBS. <laughs> Lawrence Tish, Lawrence Tish. It was like the greatest practical joke of all time. But it got to be a it got to be a, a war. And, and and I'm sure the owners of our of our respective teams, me with the Giants and him with the A's, were were kind of going. Well, why don't these guys just focus on their regular job? And uh, so we, we did it in about six years. It was great. Maybe we'll do a, a an episode about the practical joke war. But I just want to go on record here as I'm the one that got him first. Yeah, and, and he I, told me he told me that story, and he said as he went up to the room to knock on the door. He had this bad feeling. 
I wasn't sure why, but he, he knew that I hope Pat's not behind something. <laughs> he, well, he had no yeah. reason to believe that, but he just knew that. And sure enough, when the door opened, oh! Yeah, there's like 12 guys, 12 of his contemporaries were there, and he thought he was going for a, a job interview for this big new job with CBS Sports, that, you know, a visionary job, something that Andy uh, always hoped for. But when he first heard about it, he said, I don't think I'm qualified for this. He's talking to our, our friend, our headhunter friend, um, uh, Buffy Philippel, who sort of helped. It, w- one thing I learned about doing these things is that when you want to do an elaborate, practical joke, um, there's all kinds of people that want to help you do it. Everybody wants to get in on the act. So uh, anyway, it, you know what it was? And I think what, what it all means, Todd, is that, yeah, look, our business, look, it's business. And it's, it, there's a lot of difficult things. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of passion at stake. But I do think, you know, maybe having fun in the business um, is sort of a lost art in some way. I don't know. Do you agree? I do. And I think that, uh, you know, all this seems so serious. And it's become pretty doggone serious when you're uh, building a privately financed arena and you're uh, paying the highest price ever for an NHL team. You know, that's pretty serious. But, you know, levity and humor appropriate humor but humor is should be a daily part of one's work life and and, uh, and when that, and when that lives in an organization and people have enjoy going to work and are able to laugh and smile um it makes everything else easier and it's really a big part i know it's something you firmly believe in and certainly andy uh one of the riest uh senses of humor of all time it's a big big deal <laughs> It is. But so now you've got, you know, you're bringing hockey to Seattle and you, you have the opportunity to sort of, you know, to create a vision, um, to create a culture, to assemble a team of people, um, you know, a daunting task. But on the other hand, what a great opportunity to create something from the start that is in the, you know, that, that, that sort of fulfills the vision that you have. Talk about, you know, when you gather people together on the staff there, I don't know how many you have. How, how do you how do you help help build a culture? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, you know, the first, before you get to culture, you have to have, I think the primary piece is trust, that people have to trust in uh, what you're doing and who you're working with. And, and uh, trust is a big, big deal. And when people trust, I, I uh, often talk about a hockey skate being, curved and so trust is a self-fulfilling prophecy prophecy in, in hockey that if you trust the goalie and you trust those behind you the forwards are going to lean in and just by principle of how the skate's designed you're going to go faster and so trust is a really big part of of having a great culture um, trusting your teammates trusting that people have your back trusting that you're going to serve your customers and fulfill promises made um and so trust is a huge thing. And then with trust comes culture. And then with trust and culture come great outcomes. And, uh, and you know, the other piece that I would say is, uh, you know, the word I use is nobility. That when you can find nobility in what you're doing and, and create purpose and, you know, making money is, is often at the, the root of a lot of businesses, but it's not always the most noble piece. And so here the nobility is, we're solving a 14-year uh, issue on uh, getting the arena solved here. The Sonics left because the arena couldn't get solved, so we're very proud of that. The arena's uh, 
being uh, built in Seattle Center, and uh, it's a big deal because Seattle Center, uh, without this fix, uh, would be facing real peril. Um, nobility is serving fans, impacting community. Um, nobility and wanting to bring a Stanley Cup back to Seattle because actually uh, the Seattle Metropolitans in 1917 won the Stanley Cup. Really? Yeah, so, wow. And nobility is a, a big deal, and I've, I've been able to – uh, grab onto the ankle of nobility where I've been, and I really believe in it, and I think it's a really important thing. You know, it, it, you, it's interesting in, in Seattle. I mean, great city, um, you know, a lot of, lot of sports tradition in Seattle, but you also, with respect to, you know, serving customers and passion, you also have a company up there that's known around the, around the country anyway for, for, for sort of a model, and it's the, the Nordstrom people up in Seattle. I don't know if you you know, I've always I always sort of sort of held them up, and and I've I've talked about it in in, uh, in speeches. You know, everybody has they have a long employee manual on on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But what I always loved about a company like Nordstrom was they say you know their their man their their employee manual at one point was just one sentence, and it just said use your best judgment to to make our customers happy. I mean, that's sort of what it is in our business, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, John Nordstrom, who I got to know through the Seahawks, told the story of uh, the guy bringing back the tires to a Nordstrom store. And they ended up taking them and refunding his money. And they didn't sell tires. And uh, I'm like, that's just <laughs> crazy. Well, in fact, the real story was there had been a tire store. This was up in Anchorage. And uh, the guy was just insistent that he bought those tires at a Nordstrom store and the associate refunded him the money. And, you know, his, his peers thought he was going to get in lots of trouble and he didn't. It became kind of a legendary story. And, um, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, customer service and loving your fans is a huge deal in the sports business. And companies like Nordstrom inspire that. Uh, I remember a story with Rich Carlton where they actually transposed uh, the word uh, trouble and opportunity and uh, because they believed that when there was a, a customer service gap, it, rep it represented this phenomenal opportunity to build a customer for life. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, I, you know, I always related to that and later that same life when I was with the Tampa Bay lightning and um, I ran into a guy who had bought a, a chain of banks and he was really a cool guy. His name was Trevor Burgess. He would never know that I talk about him to this day. But he bought the banks, and he uh, he uh, came in on a Friday, or he came in on a Thursday, and said, "At the end of the day tomorrow, everyone's let go, and you got to re-interview for a job." And he did speed interviews. So here was the CEO of the bank doing speed interviews with every employee, and that's how he built culture. And so I went to our owner and said, hey, Jeff, um, in a couple of months, would you be? And so two months later, he is doing these speed interviews. And he said to me, you're not doing this? I'm like, no, boss, you're. And so for seven hours, Jeff Vinnick sat in a box, a suite, and did two-minute interviews. And it was painful. It was a long day in his life. But it changed our culture because then the line staff had heard directly from the owner about his expectation of customer service. And when you're able to convey it uh, in that sort of way, and it became so powerful and it really became a signature and we had a secret shopping service and we rated at the very top of sports venues on customer service because we were able to marshal that spirit 
of, of service. And there's tons of nobility in that, uh, of respecting people's time, their passion, their money. And uh, that's what customer service is about. You know, and it also gets into the whole trust piece because as you're trying to build a culture and trying to, you know, get others who do it, you, you, you really sort of have to empower them. And meaning is that if you're saying, if I'm saying to our, to our staff that I want you to use your best judgment and make decisions, if they make the wrong decision, but they do it in good faith, you, you know, you have to stand behind them. If you don't, if you don't do that, then the trust is broken. And it's, you know, it's sort of an easy thing to spot from the outside, but it's a, it's a tougher thing to, to, to create and have the, the presence. I'm sure Jeff doesn't will, always will remember that <laughs> the, the two minute drill on that, uh, on that interview day. And every one of the people who interviewed is always going to remember that. And they talk about it. Think of the number of people that know about that. Well, I, uh, I remember here in Seattle, I was working for the Seahawks and, I really uh, felt that was that the line staff were just the p critical piece of, and so uh, I would come to game days. Uh, my first two years, I'd come on a game day and, and meet the staff, and it was early, like kickoff was one, and they were gathering at nine. And my wife's like, "Why are you going over to the, you know?" And but I would get there, and we would serve coffee and pastries, and then you know, just nervous tension, I'd walk the entire stadium, the whole factory. And I really got to know people. And amazingly enough, in the upper deck, there was this little room that I don't think existed in the architectural drawings, but it was a little room up there. And they had a little potlatch and they, and, you know, they invited me into this secret society they had. And they, I wasn't mad. They were up there eating uh, Swedish meatballs. And uh, in fact, I could see that there was a real, they had their own unique culture. And we bought into it, but um, so I really got to know everyone. And then lo and behold, um, there was a tragedy that happened in the stands and, and someone died of a massive heart attack and instant social medias that we had blown it, that we should stop the game, that, you know, the man, uh, he, he could have been saved. And, um, and it was, uh, and that's what initially came out of, that was the storyline that uh, quickly came out. And I knew at that moment, that the head of guest services in that section was a man named Frank, who was actually a, a nurse. And um, so I was able to reach Frank and speak to him directly. And he told me exactly what happened and that the, the heart attack was sudden, instantaneous, and it was over. And uh, we were able to set, you know, set the record straight. And it was my relationship with him. And then he and I became you know, fast friends. I mean, we were friends outside of the office and it's getting to know your people. And in, and in that moment, not my just supporting him, but he was so supportive of us in a, in a moment of adversity. Said, you know, we did everything right. So Todd, a great Todd, as, as a leader, you know, at the top of multiple organizations, and as you were talking about creating relationships with your people as a leader, and developing trust to your point earlier, what was one thing in particular you made sure you kind of went about and, and did the right way um, to Pat's point of, of really cultivating a culture? What was one thing that maybe you tried to do to separate yourself amongst other leaders across the industry? Yeah, I never tried to separate myself from other leaders. Fact is I've learned from so many people and, 
Andy Dolish was across the parking lot. This legendary guy was over at the Giants. And as you go through life, um, you don't have to necessarily have inspired ideas. All you have to do is look around you and learn from others. And if you open your mind up to learning from others and learning best practices in the journey of life, you should get better by the day because there's ample evidence of people who are doing it right. And, and for me, looking someone in the eyes, uh, having pausing and, and talking, caring, um, and, you know, the nobility of that is that those are the people that are going to make your customers happy. And so that always, that just came easily for me because I was not classically educated. I didn't go to college. I barely got out of high school and I've always felt fortunate to be in this business. So, um, you know, quote unquote, being nice to the frontline uh, staff always came pretty easy. And, uh, and when you do that, then you make your fans happy and they're the ones that are made this entire, they're the entire industry. And I, that's not to diminish the athletes. I've, been around incredible athletes and it's not to diminish owners, but without fans, uh, there are no leagues and, and none of this stuff works like it does today. And, uh, so. Wow. Well, let, let me shift, shift gears just to, it will kind of, we'll get to a point and Todd, you know, you, you've been in this business a long time. I've been in a long time and, you know, there's some things that, that I've failed at. Uh, I, none of the failures have been fatal, fortunately, but, are, are there any things that, that, you know, you got into where you sort of guessed wrong on something and, um, and then had to figure out a way to, uh, how to way to recover. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to you know, yeah. get you to necessarily admit anything, but what I'm saying is, well, I guess my point is, is that the, is that in this business, um, it is a, you know, it's a game of, of successes, but it's also, you know, it's overcoming certain things that don't come out the way you want them to. And that happens literally every day, Pat. I mean, if you really take that in a literal sense, uh, every day something doesn't go the way you think it's going to. And therefore, having an organization anchored in values where there's trust, uh, where you have good culture, where you have a sense of purpose, where you have a sense of nobility, that's how you get through those things. Because if you're going to take chances in this world, things are not going to go by plan. And if you're risk adverse, wrong business. Uh, on any given day, half the teams lose in this business. So it is a challenging, challenging business. Um, and it's, it's getting harder. The economics of this business are getting harder. We're asking more for tickets, more for uh, the cost of going to games in an environment where time is now even more precious. And many of the things that we used to uniquely give, you know, when I started going to games, uh, you could sit at home and watch it on a black and white TV and you had to fiddle with the, you know, the rabbit ears. And yes, I'm 59 and that's how our TV worked. And today, you know, tonight I'm going to go home and watch hockey and I'll watch it on a, you know, 60 inch TV with high def. So the, the business is definitely more challenging. And so you inherently have to take more risk and, and then doing that, things aren't going to go the right way. And that's just part of life. And you've got to have a certain resiliency, but you have to have a belief system too. Well, people, and people Todd expect is, more. Oh, they do. And, go ahead. and if you don't get it, if you don't give it, they're going to communicate in ways that are, it's not just talking the next day at the water cooler, you know, failures get communicated uh, and have their own life. Um, and, you know, such is life. But, but I also think that people still appreciate 
the commitments of service. And you talked about Nordstrom and, you know, for you that that'll, you'll carry that through the rest of your life. And I think when organizations truly care about their fans and try and do the right things, you can build equity with your fan base and, uh, and they'll give you, they'll give you, you know, if you don't hit it right every time, uh, every moment, they'll give you a break because uh, you built a trusting relationship with them too. Todd, as, as the organizations and, and Pat can attest to this also, but, you know, I think to expansion and size, right, to think back to when you were first part of the organization and now how really truly big they are, especially if you're taking on other staffs such as the concession side and, and the event services, et cetera, how do you handle the communication aspect of that in, in the sense that you're now communicating, you know, to hundreds of people versus maybe 35? Well, technology certainly makes that um, easier, but, you know, it's hard. Yeah, but nothing replaces, uh, you know, face-to-face communication. And, uh, you know, if you put emails on the spectrum or even text messages between, you know, you have on one end human, you know, face-to-face communication or smoke signals, uh, emails are closer to smoke signals than true human interaction. And so <laughs> seeing people... Uh, and looking them in the eye and seeing sincerity in eyes and, and, you know, uh, voice and, you know, people can sense passion and commitment and sincerity. And it's a, it's a big part of, uh, leading, leading an organization. And especially when you're welcoming, uh, 17,000 guests into your home, um, and hospitality is a big deal. And when, on any given day, half the teams lose. You better have other things working in your in your venue. Mm. Pat, any anything to add on the communication leadership aspect of things? Well, I, you know, we, I think we we can we can go on for a long time. I, I'd like to just ask Todd, and we'll we'll wrap up here pretty soon. Is that you know you've worked in worked and have been a, a, a fan of all different games, but it, it, to Tyler Wiki. What do you think the best game, the best game played would be? I mean, what would be if you had to describe what you think the best game that's that's out there would be? And it doesn't mean that the others aren't important. It's just what's the game that you well, love? Well, the games I love are the ones that move people. And um, my wife and I were watching. You're, you know, I, I'll, you know, we've seen moments in sports, and you'll hate this one, Pat. But I remember Kirk Gibson, you know, dragging his <laughs> leg. <laughs> he came out of the dugout. And she's like, "Oh, why are they letting him up to bat?" And and then uh, watching uh, Boise State, one of the most remarkable games, playing Oklahoma, and they're on their you know five yard line, and the game is essentially over, and they drive the ball all the way down the field, and then the coach calls the Statue of Liberty play, you know. And here I am working in the business, but literally tears in my eyes, like. How magnificent is that? So I've had the chance to be around all these sports, and I've seen the essence of what happens when you put magnificent athletes in positions of amazing things happen. And now I get to do it again with hockey. I love the game of hockey. It's it's the NHL today is such an exciting league. The way it's being played, the speed, uh, you know, more uh, two goal or greater comebacks in the league now than any time in the history of the league which sounds great until you're on the other end of it. And, uh, but you know, it's, um, I, I truly love all sports. I, my wife, uh, 
you know, tells the story of um, I was watching curling and she was doing it. I'm like, honey, get your, please get out of the way. And, <laughs> like, Are you kidding me? Like curling? And uh, yeah, curling. Okay. And uh, I love the Winter Olympics, for instance, because you see all sorts of sports that you're not otherwise going to see with those same inherent dramas and athletes who have trained their entire life to get to that moment. And we get to sell that. And it's such a fun thing. So I would say anybody that is listening that wants to move further along in sports or be in this, Pat, you, you and I would agree, you know, sometimes people look back on their careers and felt they might have wasted their time. I don't, I've never felt that way. I've always felt blessed and privileged to be in a business where you represent athletes, you bring people together. They have these incredible moments that they never forget to the rest of their lives and it goes back to being the kid listening to the radio where that during a very tough time in my life where my mother was dying of cancer, I found solace in sport. And I know that when we play, we will touch lives and we'll touch lives that we'll never even know or account for. And that's the beauty of what we get to do. Wow. Hey, Todd, uh, you know, we're, we, we're, we're at the, at the, at the mark that we said we'd keep you. You're a busy guy. Um, really appreciate you just uh, sharing some thoughts. I mean, in, in anybody who's listening, you can sort of say, well, now I understand why, first of all, now I understand why this guy is successful, but also I- I understand what it takes and, and the sort of, the sort of feelings that you have to have to be successful in this business. Yeah, and, and I want to say something that actually I am busy and today was an especially busy day. And Jake, with all due respect, it was Pat Gallagher calling, and, um, and you are one of the guys that I looked up to in a formative time of my life and said, wow, good guys can succeed. And I remember the first time I met you, actually, and being nervous doing it. You were one of the true pioneers in this business, and you never failed to live up to this, uh, this persona of what the great Pat Gallagher was. So when I had a chance to jump on and do this and talk to you, Pat, I was thrilled to do it, my friend. You're the best. You're the best. Hey, good luck. Good luck up there. I'll be watching. Yeah, by the way, we'll all be watching. We'll do our next episode on luck, because if anyone thinks that's not part of this whole thing, uh, they're crazy. Okay, because luck is a huge, huge part of sports. So, well, Todd, it is. Todd, we totally. look forward to having you on again to talk about luck in the near future. But as, as Pat said, you know, good luck with the upcoming uh, launch in the season. Um, looking forward to uh, hearing more insights and, and stories uh, to share impact of, of sports and life as you were referring to. And thanks again for sharing your insights. Yeah, I, so. I have to just share one thing. Uh, my daughter uh, has seen me more than once pick up a penny and she's like, Dad, are you, what are you, the cheapest? I said, sorry, you pass that penny. Like, you pick up a penny, it brings you luck, okay? And if you're in a business where half the game's lose. So this morning, I saw a penny on the sidewalk. And I picked it up, and I have it right here in my pocket. Actually, I'm give you that. I'm holding up that penny right now. Here it is. Here it is. Hold on. I'm going to give you the year. It's a 2016 penny I found on the sidewalk. Luck hey, Todd, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Was it heads up? Uh, no, it was heads down. But... That's all right. Hey, so long, guys. <laughs>